We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. And away we go, episode 182 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, November 8th, 2021. We got our hour back on Saturday night. We fell back. Uh, I hope you got a lot out of that extra hour. I hope every second of those extra 60 minutes were glorious for you. I know this, it was glorious seeing some of what we saw in our Washington football team list NFL Week 9 in terms of the NFC East. The team that did our team dirty the previous week, the Denver Broncos winning at the Dallas Cowboys 30-16 in maybe the most surprising result of NFL Week 9. We had our former kicker, old D-Hop. Dustin Hopkins connecting on a game-winning 29-yard field goal with two seconds left in the fourth quarter of a 27-24 Los Angeles Chargers win at the Philadelphia Eagles. Hopkins delivers. Yes, Hopkins delivers, although Hopkins also missed an extra point attempt in that game. Nice to see some things have not changed, but still, the Cowboys lost, the Eagles lost, Uh, The New York Giants, though, did win a 23-16 win over the Las Vegas Raiders, who are signing former Washington receiver Deshaun Jackson. Yes, D-Jax is going to be donning the silver and black. Is that not a match made in heaven? One of the great deep threats, really, in NFL history, Deshaun Jackson playing for the Raiders. All kinds of Washington-related stuff happened on Sunday, even with Washington not playing. Of course, does any of this matter uh, given the season that Washington is having? Well, we say hello and welcome to another installment, another week 
of the Al Galdi podcast, the only DC sports podcast that's with you with a new show each weekday out by 5 a.m. You do not have to guess when a new episode of this podcast is coming out. It's very simple. New episode each weekday out by 5 a.m. with oh so rare exception. Uh, I go in-depth on the Washington football team on every show. This show, no different. In fact, I have a special guest for you on this episode, Eric from Washington Realm. He's a fan and observer of the Washington football team. He has gained quite the following on Twitter. He makes a lot of good, intelligent points about the team. You know, one of the things that I wanted to do when I started this podcast was to get away from, you know, the same old, same old. And I wanted to have conversations with new people, fresh voices, different perspectives. Well, Eric brings a really good perspective. So you'll hear our conversation on the state of the Washington football team this season and beyond coming up in just a bit. But before that, next segment, I will be getting into the latest in congressional involvement in the Washington football team's workplace misconduct scandal. We had multiple developments on Thursday and Friday. I will discuss what exactly is going on here, as well as whether Dan Snyder's politics have anything to do with Congress being involved and whether Congress should be involved at all. I think that these are intriguing aspects of this situation, so I want to get into them. Uh, Also, the Wizards. The damn Washington Wizards. Yes, the Wizards. Tremendous weekend for them. Home wins over the Memphis Grizzlies and Milwaukee Bucks. The Wizards are 7-3. and three. They're playing defense. They're lately shooting lights out. Uh, I will pay proper homage to our NBA team on this show. I'll talk college football. My thoughts on Maryland's loss to Penn State, Virginia Tech's ugly loss, at Boston College and Navy's loss at Notre Dame. The Capitals have cooled off a bit. I'll review their loss to the Philadelphia Flyers at Capital One Arena on Saturday night. And believe it or not, I have a baseball segment for you. Notable moves regarding the Nationals and Orioles bullpens on Friday. I'm covering just about everything for you on this installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Friendly reminder, uh, when you have 30 seconds to kill, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give the podcast a five-star rating if you haven't yet done that. And please write just like a one or two sentence review saying how much you like the podcast if you haven't yet done that. Those things help out the pod a lot. And thank you to all of you who already have done those things. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Brent in Northeast D.C., On Chase Young, writes Brent, is it only me who sees all of these parallels between Chase Young and LeVar Arrington? Which of those two am I describing with the points below? First team, all Big Ten. First team, all American. Bednarik Award winner given to the best defensive player in college football. Left college after his junior season for the NFL. Hugely hyped talent called generational heading into the draft. Gets wins on athleticism, more than polished, developed skills, and is best at rushing the passer. Selected with the second pick in the first round of the draft by the Washington Redskins. All of these points actually describe both players' phenomenal talents. None of that, though, has translated into sustained success for the WFT. As I stand right now, 
Another trait those two seem to share is being overvalued based on their college hype. Let's learn from history. I mean, was the hype for Chase coming out any different than the hype for LeVar off the LeVar leap over the line against Illinois or the heist in the horseshoe when he took the handoff against Ohio State? Let's not hold on to this guy and tread at or below 500. We won 44 games in the six years LeVar was here. It's worse than that with Chase 20 years later, no quarterback. I mean, I know the guy is local. We can still root for him to be good somewhere else. He can come back after a long career in the AFC and do a radio show with you, Al. Being a DeMatha guy, he has got to be able to articulate himself better than LeVar could on radio. Cheers and hail to the football team. <laughs> well, thank you for the email, Brent. You know, LeVar is actually now doing national sports radio for Fox Sports Radio. Brent, you're not wrong with a lot of what you're saying. And actually, I would throw another parallel into the mix. Joe Gibbs and Greg Williams soured on LeVar Arrington for not adhering to the defensive scheme. Ron Rivera has made it quite clear that Chase Young this season has been guilty of not adhering to the defensive scheme. So there's that parallel as well. The thing to cling to with Chase Young is that this is only his second NFL season. So as the great NFL philosopher Natasha Bedingfield once said, the rest is still unwritten. But I can't put forth much of an argument against what you wrote, Brent. LeVar was not a bad player for Washington. He just didn't end up being the generational performer that we hoped that he would be. And right now, we have the same thing happening with Chase Young. He's not a bad player. He was very good last season, but he so far this season hasn't been special. And the hope when he was drafted was that he would be special. Well, you yourself are special. Your health matters, including the health of your skin. And if you have questions or concerns regarding your skin, contact Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He's a big Washington football team fan, big listener of this podcast. And operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. The institute focuses on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care, including advanced treatment for many skin cancers. And among those advanced treatments is superficial radiation therapy, or SRT. SRT is an alternative to surgical procedures for basal cell and squamous cell skin cancers. SRT is revolutionary. It's a non-surgical skin cancer treatment that's safe and effective. You see, having skin cancer doesn't mean having to have surgery and the downtime and side effects that go with surgery. You have options. Understand that a non-surgical option in SRT is available. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer SRT, unlike many other dermatology practices in the area, and SRT is covered by most insurances. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. Make sure that you tell them that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again, 301-396-3401, or visit midatlanticskin.com. That's MidAtlanticSkin.com. Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland, nationally recognized for treating skin cancer across the Mid-Atlantic region.
All right, so there may not have been a Washington football team game on Sunday, but that doesn't mean that we do not have Washington football team stuff to discuss on this Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. We have the latest in the reignited workplace misconduct scandal to get into before we get to our special guest, Eric from Washington Realm. As you know, when it comes to our team, the team currently known as the Washington football team, if there's no loss about which to be worked up, there's always a scandal about which to get worked up. As I have said, the workplace misconduct scandal was over, was done, was finished. The scandal has been brought back to life by these leaked Bruce Allen emails. Who leaked these emails is a massive story. And if, in fact, it was Dan Snyder who leaked these emails in order to exact revenge on old Brucey, oh, the irony, because the emails have resurrected a scandal that was dead and buried. So it was on Thursday night, October 21st, that we had the breaking news of Congress having questions about Washington's workplace culture scandal. Representative Carolyn B. Maloney, chairwoman of the Committee on Oversight and Reform, and Representative Raja Krishnamurthy, chairman of the Subcommittee on Economic and Consumer Policy, on October 21st, sent a letter to NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell requesting documents and information regarding the Washington football team's hostile workplace culture and the NFL's handling of the matter. The letter requested that the documents be made available by this past Thursday, November 4th. Well, the documents were not made available by this past Thursday, November 4th. Instead, the NFL submitted answers to questions posed by the House Oversight and Reform Committee as opposed to submitting documents. We learned of this on Friday, said NFL spokesman Brian McCarthy in a statement on Friday, quote, the NFL on Thursday submitted responses to the questions in the committee's October 21st letter. As we have discussed with the committee, we are in the process of identifying responsive documents while working through issues of privilege and anonymity promised to participants in the investigation. End quote. Said Representative Carolyn B. Maloney in a statement on Friday, quote, Commissioner Goodell said the NFL will cooperate with Congress and we expect him to make good on that promise by producing the documents requested. In the spirit of transparency, I am calling on the NFL and Washington football team to honor the commissioner's public statement that witnesses to the team's hostile workplace culture are welcome to come forward. Congress has a responsibility to combat harassment and discrimination in the workplace. If the NFL shares our commitment to address these issues, it will be fully transparent about the findings of the internal review and will allow all individuals to speak freely without fear of retaliation. End quote. So I don't know about you. I felt from the second that we found out about Congress getting involved in the Washington football team's workplace misconduct scandal that the NFL had no desire or intention of ever releasing documents to say nothing of actually putting together a full, complete, written report on the Beth Wilkinson investigation. Remember, as best as we can tell, there is no written report for the Beth Wilkinson investigation. And what came out on Friday is reflective of this being the NFL's approach. The NFL is simply trying to kill the penalty. The NFL is on the penalty kill 
Oh, Committee on Oversight and Reform. You want documents and information. Well, uh, here are some answers to questions. Yeah, some answers to questions. Uh, we need time to identify responsive documents and work through issues of privilege and anonymity promised to participants in the investigation. Yeah, because it's the participants' fault that we haven't released more about the investigation. Not our fault. Blame those women, okay? Blame those hussies who used to work for the team currently known as the Washington football team. Don't blame us, you know? Like, that's what the NFL was saying with what it did and said on Thursday and Friday. This was as predictable as the sun rising in the east this morning. The NFL simply trying to delay, simply trying to kill the penalty. The NFL must be furious that this Washington football team workplace misconduct scandal, which again was over, has been brought back to life via these leaked Bruce Allen emails. If Dan Snyder did leak the emails, I actually think that that could cost him more than the actual scandal in terms of the reaction from the other owners who, as I have said, actually run the NFL, not Roger Goodell. But I would bet you anything that it's the leaking of these emails that infuriates the NFL far more than the actual scandal. But in the meantime, the NFL is just stalling and delaying and killing the penalty and counting on Congress and the media eventually moving on to the next scandal, you know, the next outrage, the next controversy. The NFL is counting on the 24-7 news cycle doing its thing. Now, of course, the right thing to do the proper thing to do, the moral thing to do would be for the NFL to be as transparent as possible about the Beth Wilkinson investigation. But that's not happening because the NFL isn't about being right and proper and moral. The NFL isn't about trying to bring true closure for the victims in the scandal. The NFL is about making money. And coming clean via full transparency with the investigation will continue, will prolong the Washington football team's workplace misconduct scandal as a story and will embarrass the team and the NFL and will be bad for business. Is the NFL hiding things and not being more transparent about the investigation? Of course the NFL is hiding things. Why else would the NFL not be more forthcoming? This isn't about the privacy of the victims. The victims have made it clear that they're not concerned with that. This is about the NFL trying to kill time until the outrage over the scandal dies down again. That's what the NFL is trying to do here, and we'll see if that strategy ends up working out for the NFL. But I do want to address two other aspects of what's going on here. One is, I do think that politics are playing a role in Congress being involved in the scandal. You know, I wondered about this when Congress first got involved, and what we're now seeing is this thing breaking down along party lines. So Representative Carolyn B. Maloney and Representative Raja Krishnamurthy are the two people who sent that letter to Roger Goodell. Both Representative Maloney and Representative Krishnamurthy are Democrats. Dan Snyder, on the other hand, is, if not a Republican, then at the very least, someone who had been a big supporter of President Donald Trump. According to Federal Election Commission records, Dan donated $1.1 million to Trump. To me, you have had to at least wonder if Dan, having been a Trump supporter, 
was a part of why Congress got involved in this workplace misconduct scandal. Not that Dan, having been a Trump supporter, is the reason that Congress got involved in the workplace misconduct scandal. I'm not saying that this is some political witch hunt or anything like that, but that Dan, having been a Trump supporter, helped to, shall we say, grease the skids of Congress getting involved in the workplace misconduct scandal. If, say, Congress getting involved was a 50-50 proposition at best, Dan, having been a Trump supporter, is the kind of thing that, to me, would push Congress past that line of getting involved in the workplace misconduct scandal. Like I said, this thing is breaking down along party lines. Representative Maloney and Representative Krishnamurthy are Democrats. You tell me, have any Republicans come out in favor of the Committee on Oversight and Reform being involved in the Washington football team's workplace misconduct scandal? I haven't seen any. Maybe I've missed some. I did see this. Representative James Comer, who is a Republican from Kentucky and is the ranking minority member of the Oversight Committee, said the following in a statement on Friday, quote, Americans are currently facing an unprecedented border crisis, skyrocketing inflation, a supply chain breakdown, and an underperforming economy. The Democrats' latest theatrics are clearly a last-ditch effort to distract the American people from President Biden's self-inflicted crisis, end quote. I'm not here to debate the merits of what Representative James Comer said there. What I'm trying to do here is to illustrate for you that this thing, the thing being congressional involvement in the Washington football team's workplace misconduct scandal, is breaking down along party lines. I mean, ask yourself this question. If Dan Snyder was a big supporter of President Joe Biden, would Representative Maloney and Representative Krishnamurthy have sent that letter? You know, if Dan Snyder was a major donor to the Biden campaign, if Dan was a huge liberal, would Representative Maloney and Representative Krishnamurthy have sent that letter? Maybe the answer is yes. You know, I'm not saying that I know the answer with certainty, but knowing how things are right now in our country, knowing how politicized things are right now in our country, you got to wonder. To me, you're being naive if you're not wondering. And understand, I'm not bringing this aspect of things up to like generate sympathy for Dan, okay? Trust me, I want him out as owner as much as you do. But ask yourself this other question. Are you happy that Congress is making waves in the Washington football team's workplace misconduct scandal because Congress should be making waves in this scandal? Or are you happy that Congress is making waves in the Washington football team's workplace misconduct scandal because you're hoping that these waves ultimately result in Dan Snyder being out as owner of the Washington football team. Because there's a difference there. I do think that it's very debatable whether Congress should be involved in a workplace misconduct scandal for an NFL team. There are many other more important things right now in our country. And I'm not saying that the workplace misconduct scandal isn't important. It is. But from the perspective of the United States Congress, the Washington football team's workplace misconduct scandal is dwarfed by many other issues and is the kind of thing that should be handled by the NFL. Now, you could say, well, the NFL didn't handle this thing properly. And I don't think you're wrong in saying that. 
And while, yes, you can say that Congress can address more than one thing at a time, like the idea of, hey, Congress can address the Washington football team's workplace misconduct scandal while also addressing these other more pressing issues. Uh, Yes and no. Yes and no. Like, yes, in theory, our Congress could address more than one thing at a time. But I would come back at you with this. An efficient and effective Congress can adequately address more than one thing at a time. Knowing what we've known about our Congress for years now, would you describe our Congress as efficient and effective? Because I sure wouldn't. I do think that it's at least fair to ask the question of if whatever time and money are spent on Congress being involved in the Washington football team's workplace misconduct scandal mean less time and less money for the other more pressing issues for the country. And maybe the answer is no. Look, I don't pretend to have all of the answers, but I do believe in asking questions. And I wonder about that one, especially when you consider Congress having not gotten involved in plenty of other workplace misconduct scandals over the years. I mean, if Congress is so concerned about workplace misconduct and the treatment of women, how come Congress did nothing regarding the Harvey Weinstein scandal? Okay, Harvey Weinstein, big time film producer, a big macher in Hollywood. He in February 2020 was convicted of rape and sexual assault. 80 plus women accused Weinstein of inappropriate behavior or worse. And yet Congress did nothing in the way of inquiries or hearings into what the heck was going on in Hollywood with Weinstein for years. It was an open secret in Hollywood that Weinstein was like this. But all of these courageous people in Hollywood who love to lecture us about how we should live our lives said nothing about Weinstein, and Congress did nothing in the wake of the Harvey Weinstein scandal. Why is that? Well, did you know that Harvey Weinstein was a major donor to the Democratic Party? Hmm. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? And so Congress, also coincidentally, did nothing regarding Harvey Weinstein. So Congress did nothing regarding Weinstein, but now is making a big deal about the Washington football team's workplace misconduct scandal. Again, I'm not trying to engineer sympathy for Dan Snyder. I know it may sound like that. I'm not. I'm also not trying to make some political statement. What I am trying to do is point out inconsistency. I do think that it's very debatable whether Congress should be involved in the Washington football team's workplace misconduct scandal. Ultimately, I believe the following three things are true. Number one, the NFL has no intention of ever releasing all of the documents and information that the House Democrats want. Maybe the NFL somehow ends up getting forced into releasing those items, but the NFL has zero intention of releasing those items. Number two, the reason that the NFL has no intention of ever releasing all of the documents and information that the House Democrats want is that the documents and information would be embarrassing, if not damaging, to the NFL and the Washington football team. I think that that's pretty obvious. The documents and information would only make what went on with our Washington football team look even worse. Might even make Dan Snyder himself look much worse. You know, we don't know. And number three, Dan, having been a Trump supporter, is part of why the House Dems have felt empowered to get involved in the workplace misconduct scandal. Not that this is a political witch hunt, okay? I want to make that clear. But this thing is breaking down along party lines. I think that that says a lot. Where congressional involvement in the Washington football team's workplace misconduct scandal ends up taking us, who knows? Maybe Congress's involvement ends up being a big fat nothing. 
But then again, maybe not. I do know this. This workplace misconduct scandal was over. And now it has been back on for weeks. And the leaked Bruce Allen emails are the reason. And the answer to the question of who leaked those emails is maybe the single most intriguing piece of information in Washington, D.C. sports right now. Well, here are some questions for you. Do you own or run a business that you want to grow? Do you want to reel in new customers for your business? Do you want to spread awareness of your business? Do you want to set up a website for your business but don't know where to start? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, then put ImageWorks to work for you. ImageWorks is a full-service boutique web design, branding, and marketing company. ImageWorks is located in Washington, D.C. and Northern Virginia, but serves the entire country. So if you're listening and say North Carolina or Pennsylvania or New York or Florida or even California, ImageWorks can help you. For more than two decades, ImageWorks has stood for creating great brands and providing custom marketing solutions. But ImageWorks is more than a branding and marketing firm. ImageWorks is your collaborative partner, your one-stop shop for business growth. ImageWorks clients range from startups and small and mid-sized businesses to global enterprises and government contractors. ImageWorks has a complete team of in-house designers, marketers, developers, art directors, strategists, and writers. You can put any or all of them to work for you by calling 703-378-0000. When you call, make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast, because doing so will get you a free homepage search engine optimization and conversion review. That phone number again is 703-378-0000. And make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. You can also find out more by going to imageworkscreative.com. If you own or run a business, let Imageworks grow your business. Imageworks, creative minds focused on one goal, your business success. All right, time now for our special guest, and I'm very pleased to welcome to the Al Galdi podcast, Eric from Washington Realm. He is a fan and observer of the Washington football team. He has amassed well over 18,000 Twitter followers just through making good, interesting points on Twitter. You can follow him on Twitter at Washington Realm, and he has a website, WashingtonRealm.net. Eric, very nice to have you on, man. How are you? Hi, Gaudi. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So it's interesting to me with the Washington football team because you're among a few people who have garnered significant followings through no real platform other than social media. Uh, We have Brent, a.k.a. Burgundy Blog. We have Jordan Asri. We have yourself. Just out of curiosity, what's your story? Like, how did you come to acquire your following? Well, you know, one thing I've always noticed about Washington fans is that it's one of the most passionate fan bases in all of sports. I mean, this has been known for years, but, you know, I actually started the account when I was in high school. I was in my uh, I was in my 11th grade English class. You know, I was kind of known as being the guy in my school and among my friends that was just like obsessed with this team. And I had a personal account that I'd always tweet on and, you know, no one really cared. I was told by you know, a couple of my friends, like, you should just create a separate account and, you know, try to amass a following. And it's just kind of taken off. Um, it was originally called Skins Realm uh, before, obviously, the name change. And I've been going by Washington Realm for the last year. But, 
you know, Washington fans really love their content. And, you know, I, I try to give kind of a fan's perspective. You know, I'm, I'm not paid. I'm not a, I'm, I guess I'm secondary media. I'm not a real media member. I'm just, I'm like everyone else sitting at home on their couch. You know, I go to, I've actually been to every game this year, but, you know, most, most times I'm in my basement wearing my jersey, watching the game like everybody else. And I think that, you know, guys like me and Jordan and um, Brent from Burgundy Blog, like you mentioned, are all really good at kind of giving that, that that similar view that other fans at home are getting. Yeah, well, I think that it's an important viewpoint, and congrats on your success, and keep it going. So let's talk about our football team. Uh, the bye week is done. Two and six is the record. Very few things have gone well so far this season. And of course, Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are coming to FedEx Field for a game this Sunday afternoon at one. Are you as down on the Washington football team and its season as most people? I am, and I, I say this, you know, they've had a lot of bad seasons, and they've had a lot of rock bottoms, but I mean, have we ever had one where we've actually had expectations like this? You know, I, I look at, you know, before the season, I was kind of like everyone else. This, I didn't think this was a 12-1 team, but I didn't think this was a 3-4-1 or team that was going to be picking the top five. And you know, here we are, you know, after the bye week, we've got Tom Brady coming in. We're staring two and seven at the face. And I mean, it's November, beginning of November, and it feels like the season's over. And, you know, I look at the calendar, and I'm like, what is the next big thing to come? And I th- is, it, is the name change the next thing on the calendar that we're really looking forward to in November? And, yeah, I mean, you know, you and I talked about it the other day in the DMs. Like, Ron's teams typically do play better in November and December. So I guess the, the real passionate side of me is kind of like, oh, well, you know, maybe these last nine games they'll get it together and go on some sort of run. But then, you know, I look at, I look at this team, and I, I say, you know, what are they good at? I mean, they're not good on defense. They don't have a good quarterback. They have one good receiver. Curtis Samuel hasn't played. Logan Thomas has missed half the year. You know, I, what what are they going to build on? You know, they, in these last nine games, and I just I, I look at it and I, I feel hopeless. And you know, not only do I feel hopeless for this season, but this isn't. They're not going into a draft this year that's loaded with talent. There's no Trevor Lawrence. There's no Joe Burrow. There's no Kyler Murray. And, you know, I, I have a hard time thinking they're going to be able to attract like a Rodgers or a Wilson or even like a, a Derek Carr or a Matt Ryan for that matter. It's, it's like it's helpless. It's kind of a helpless feeling. Yeah, it is. I mean, my hope with the quarterback thing is that, OK, we perceive this quarterback class right now to be one way. Maybe it turns out to be another way or at the very least, maybe the quarterback who Washington takes in the first round, assuming Washington takes a quarterback in the first round ends up being surprisingly great, you know, maybe like a Justin Mm -hmm. Herbert type. But I understand that may be pie in the sky. I mean, what what you just said makes a lot of sense. You just mentioned a number of the negatives. What would you say bothers you the most about this Washington football team season so far? I mean, to me, it's I think it's like everyone else. It's got to be this defense. I mean, you have put tons of resources. You've got two defensive backs making a ton of money. You've got five first-round picks up front, if you count Jamin Davis. And it's like, it's not just one group. Like, it's one thing if we came out this season, it's like, okay, you know, the linebackers are really bad, but, you know, the secondary's pretty good, the D-line's dominant, and they're kind of, you know, they're like a a middle-of-the-pack defense. But no, this is, like, the worst defense in the NFL. And it's not just one unit, it's all of it. And, you know, to have a guy like Chase Young who has, what, a sack and a half through nine games? I mean, did, did Ryan Kerrigan at any point have a sack and a half through nine games? Did Brian Arakpo at any point have a sack and a half through nine games? And look, I'm not going to sit here and say I think Chase was bust. I think he's a good player. 
And, you know, in particular, you know, you always see stats about how he's a great tackler and a great run stopper. And I'm like, you know, they didn't take Chase Young, number two in the draft, ahead of two potential franchise quarterbacks to be a good run stopper. They they drafted him to be a game-changing sack maker. And, you know, it's not just Chase. Montez has had a decent season. We've, of course, now lost him for looks like another month or so. But, you know, it's it's yeah, it's definitely this defense, and it's the lack of the, the best players on the defense to really, really make an impact. Talking Washington football team with Eric from Washington Realm. Ron Rivera, do you still have faith in him ultimately succeeding as Washington football team head coach? Or is this season exposing Ron as someone who will not be ultimately succeeding as Washington football team head coach? You know, I'll say, like, I do believe Ron Rivera is deserving of one of the 32 coaching spots. Um, I did not think that was the case with Jake Rudin for example. Like, I thought Jay was a really good offensive coordinator. I did not think he was a head coach, but I do think Ron's a head coach. What I don't think Ron is, though, is a general manager. Um, you know, we've gone with this coach-centric theme, and, you know, you look around the league and all these other, and, and I wanted that, but, you know, you look around the league, and it's like Bill Belichick's one, Sean Payton, Andy Reid, Pete Carroll, uh, Ron Rivera also, and it's like Ron Rivera is not those other guys. And you know, you've seen some gaffes here over the past, I'd say, couple years. You know, most notably this year. You know, I think we all needed to see Hopkins go, but then he goes in and brings a guy who's never kicked in the NFL before. And it seems like he's kind of susceptible to these, um, to shooting himself in the foot a little bit. It seems like a lot of his decisions that he owns ends up being, you know, a little rough. I look, I, I think Ron is a good coach. I think he's a good man. I'm not ready to bail on him. Um, I don't think the team can bail on him. I, Dan can't fire Ron Rivera. Um, he's going to be here for at least through next season. Um, but look, if they end up finishing with two to three wins, I mean, his seat's going to be hot going into 2022. I mean, again, it's it's unfortunate to say that after what you know he overcame last year and what his team overcame. But, you know, he hasn't even beaten a good quarterback yet. I mean, if you look at the quarterbacks he's beaten, I mean, it's half of them aren't even playing in the league right now. You know, it's not, you know, when he, since he's been here in Washington. So I'm, I'm not ready to give up yet, but you need to see more. And, you know, I mentioned Gruden a second ago. One of the things that Jake Gruden did that was good was his teams every now and then would kind of give you that win that they weren't supposed to have. Like you think about that Colt McCoy Monday night win in Jay's first season. You think about that early 2017 win against the Raiders when they came in here in like week two as Super Bowl favorites and they blew him out. Uh, there is another game where, you know, they lit up Aaron Rodgers on Sunday night football under Gruden. Like Jay's again, Jay, I didn't think was a head coach in this league, but Jay gave you that improbable win here and there that Ron has not given us yet. And, you know, I think it's time that it's not going to happen against Tampa, but I think it's time that Ron kind of outdoes himself a little bit to kind of show us he's capable. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that Raiders game. Jack Del Rio was the Raiders head coach. Then. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think the win at the Pittsburgh Steelers last season was an improbable win. But knowing what happened with the Steelers mm-hmm. the rest of the season, you could make the case now that, well, you didn't really beat the Steelers team that you thought you were beating. But, you know, to your point, Washington has played a tough schedule so far this season. And, you know, I don't know that you say the games have been non-competitive, but Washington has this minus 71 point differential the games yeah. aren't that close. I mean, Washington is getting ripped in a lot of these losses, and that's a problem, like you said. I mean, that you know, it's not encouraging to see that. So in terms of the rest of this season, 
what would you like to see happen at quarterback? I mean, it may be that it doesn't matter what happens at quarterback the rest of this season, but what would you like to see happen at quarterback over the remaining nine games? Well, you know, I, I was a little bit excited about Fitzpatrick coming into the year. You know, I thought he was going to bring some juice to this team, you know, some energy that we hadn't seen. So, I mean, if he ends up, I mean, we haven't really heard anything. It's kind of been a little odd. It's like the Curtis thing. It's like we're kind of left in no man's land with it. But if he ends up getting cleared, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing Fitzpatrick for a couple weeks. But if that doesn't happen, I, I think you stick with Taylor Heineke. I mean, we know Taylor is, at this point is probably a backup. We know Kyle Allen's a backup. There's no reason to switch between the two. It, it's not going to jolt the team going to Kyle Allen over Taylor Heineke. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you stick with Taylor. Um, he's shown he's shown the ability to at least move the football. And you know, people forget, you know, after Kirk left, this team didn't move the football for like four years. <laughs> I mean, they have their red zone struggles, but Taylor. I mean, say what you want about him, he does not have an NFL arm, but you know, he moves the football, and I, I think Taylor Heineke, he's not even on the top four reasons they're losing games. I mean, he's he's up there. That Saints game, I think, was on him. But other than that, it, it's hard for me to look at the games they've lost this year and say, oh, Taylor, that's a big reason. So, you know, I, I think that you stick with number four for the rest of the year, permitted he's healthy. With the defense, it, of course, has been such a disappointment what do you think is more likely for Washington over its remaining nine regular season games? That the defense gets its act together to at least some extent, or that the defense continues to be this major disappointment? I mean, look, it's we're going into what will be week 10 against Tampa, I guess. I don't think you're going to see a big change. I mean, they're not getting any healthier. You just lost Montez Sweat, who's you know probably been a top three player this year on their defense um you know they but again they have some talent like john allen i think is having an all-pro season now on the bottom five defense will that get recognized i don't know but i mean they just have again like i said before it's not like it's just one unit it's it's everything combined is just bad and i i don't see how that's just gonna i just don't see how the, the switch just flips on that um you know they've got dak prescott twice still they've got tom They've probably got Russ. It's it, it, the, the schedule. They've gone through probably the worst of it after this upcoming week. But, you know, I, I mean, are they going to beat up on Daniel Jones and Jalen Hurts and then say that they're a really good defense again like they did last year? I don't know. I think we know that they are. Um, I think, yeah, I, I don't see this getting a whole lot better, unfortunately. Yeah, and Daniel Jones historically plays his best against Washington, <laughs> and we saw what happened in Week 17 of last season against Jalen Hurts. He looked pretty good against yeah. Washington. I uh, want to get your take on Dan Snyder from this perspective. Obviously, there is a lot going on right now with Danny, and where it all ends up leading, who knows, but... With Dan Snyder as the owner of this team, are you among those who believe that meaningful, sustained success, however you want to define it, is just never going to happen with Dan Snyder as the owner of the Washington football team? Or do you believe there's a path by which Washington can have meaningful, sustained success with Dan as the owner? When it comes to sustained success, I, I don't think there's a chance. Um, I think you can maybe get that Cinderella season here and there, kind of like you got in 2012 with Griffin. You know, you kind of saw it a little bit with Kirk in 2015. I mean, they, they're going to luck into a, a good season here and there, but you're never going to, under Dan Snyder, you're never going to have like a, a Packers run or a, a Patriots run. You know, I'm, I'm 23 years old. I don't know the difference of dan snyder like a lot of you guys do that grew up under kent cook and joe gibbs 
And, you know, to me, this is what it is. I mean, you have four to five bad years and then you occasionally get one good year. And it's, you know, of course, it's I've only seen one playoff win when I was seven. But, you know, I don't think that one day the uh, switch is going to flip and we're going to have like five years of being a contender. And to me, it starts with the quarterback. I mean, could he have like a Jim Ursay luck into a Peyton Manning type situation? (laughs) Maybe. But, you know, again, I don't think it's going to happen under Dan Snyder. I think you would need everything to change. I think you need a new owner. You need a new stadium. You're obviously already getting a new name. And most importantly, you need like a Peyton Manning type quarterback. And again, it's just it's asking too much for me to think that in the foreseeable future, they're going to, you know, have five to 10 years of just amazing contending success. Jason Wright, it's interesting to me because one of the things that he did early in his tenure as Washington football team team president was befriend essentially people like you, uh, fans on social media with significant followings. Uh, what I call the hashtag fire Bruce Allen crowd. And I thought it was very smart what Jason did, but let's be honest, it also was strategic what Jason did. Well, here we are now, and it sure feels like the sparkle has come off of Jason, right? In large part because of the Sean Taylor number 21 retirement debacle, even though it's quite possible that that was a decision that was made above Jason by Dan and that that was something that was forced on to Jason, and that maybe Jason didn't even want to do it. I mean, who the heck knows what the truth is, but the execution of that clearly left a lot to be desired. Do you believe that the honeymoon is over for Jason Wright as Washington team president? Yeah, well, I definitely do believe the honeymoon's over. Um, I think it's like that with Ron and Jason. Um, it's interesting because, like you said, he contacted, or it was a team actually DM'd me back last, um, it was around Thanksgiving last year about this virtual roundtable with him. And he sat down with me and a number of other like podcasts and Twitter accounts. And we talked for like two and a half hours just about anything. And, you know, at the time it was just crazy because, you know, we had Bruce Allen who you couldn't, you couldn't even write a letter to him. There's just no contact. And here, here I am in a, a Zoom call with the president of the Washington football team. So, you know, he definitely did a good job of giving a first impression to us. Um, but I think right now, you know, you mentioned the Sean Taylor thing. That That's the one that really hurt him. Now, was that his decision to do that last second? I don't know. I don't think so. I think we know that it was probably someone with a little more say in the organization who might have had that happen right away. But, um, you know, I, I do think the honeymoon's over. Um, I think that it's all going to kind of come down to this name thing. And I feel like I feel a little bad for him, too, because I don't see a name that's going to really help this fan base come together. I mean, they were the Redskins for 90 years. <laughs> and there's, you know, I get asked all the time, like, what, what new name do you want? What will really make you happy? And I'm like, look, I, I just don't know if I care. And in a sense, like Jason Wright's trying really hard. He mentioned the video he put out. You know, they're doing this you know, name change thing. They're doing everything they can to to make us feel involved, and and I appreciate them for that. But I just I don't know if there's any result that's going to really, you know, give Jason a statue here. And again, I think he's tried really hard, but you know, with this organization, when you get here, you know, you tend to leave with your pants at your ankles. You know, it's regardless of what you do and and who you try to contact and work with. And, you know, again, the honeymoon, I think, is over with him. Um, The Sean Taylor thing, I think, ended that. But, um, you know, right now it's going to come down to that name change. I don't I don't see what's going to happen between now and then. 
and you know how they roll it out you know will they be the ones that announce it or am i going to wake up to a you know an espn notification to it getting leaked and you know again it's just gonna it comes down to that for me you know can he roll it out well and yeah we'll see yeah, we will. And with the Sean Taylor number 21 retirement debacle, even if this was an ultra rush decision made by Dan Snyder forced onto Jason Wright, the execution of the retiring of the number and the honoring of Sean left so much to be desired. And that execution we know is on Jason and his staff. That's not on Dan. Dan's not planning out every little detail. Jason and his staff are doing that. And you know, whether you're talking about the photo op with Sean Taylor's family in front of porta potties or the lack of towels that were handed out at FedEx Field. If that you, bugged me. Yeah. I was there and I, I got there at 11 o'clock and I still didn't get one. Wow. So, so that's the thing. Like, if you can't yeah. even get that stuff right, what makes yeah. us think they're going to get the name change? Yeah. The, the name change and the rollout of the new name are so much more complicated then honoring Sean Taylor, which should have been a layup. So if they couldn't get honoring Sean right, I'm like, are they going to really get exactly. the name thing right? So we'll that see. was the one thing that was just you. I don't know how you could have debacled that, and they did it in the worst way. Yeah. I, I mean, they could have packed that place against the Cowboys, told us a year in advance, and it would have been regardless of how bad the team was or could be that that place would have been packed, and they completely fumbled the bag. <laughs> they did. They did. All we can hope is that things somehow get better, but we've been saying that for many years around here, no doubt. Well, it's great to have you on, man. Eric from Washington Realm. You can follow him on Twitter, as I know plenty of you already do, at Washington Realm, and you can check out his website, WashingtonRealm.net. It was really nice having you on, man. All the best. You too, Al. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Good to have Eric from Washington Realm on the pod, and good to have the Wizards doing it as they are doing. Excellent weekend for the Wiz. I'll talk about it up next. Hey guys, Al Galdi here. Washington football team season continues and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Washington football team tickets because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only ticket site that you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all of those awful service fees that the other ticket sites charge. This allows TickPick to guarantee the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. Don't believe this? Look, if you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. And so if you're looking to watch Washington live this season, get your tickets at TickPick.com slash Galdi to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. Whether you're looking to see Washington take on Tom Brady and the Bucks at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon or want to make the trip to Vegas to watch Washington play at the Raiders on December 5th or want to hit up any of Washington's five NFC East games over the final five weeks of the regular season, TickPick has you covered. Again, TickPick guarantees the best prices on all of its NFL tickets. No more of those ridiculous service fees. Visit TickPick.com slash Galdi right now to save $10 on your first order of Washington football team tickets. That's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K dot com slash Galdi. That's TickPick.com slash Galdi. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so how about the weekend for our Wizards? The damn Washington Wizards! Yes, that team, our team, it continued its terrific start to this season. Friday night, a 115-87 blowout of the Memphis Grizzlies at Capital One Arena. You know, the Grizzlies came into the game 5-3, and three, so it wasn't like the Wizards smashed some bad team with this victory. Wizards never trailed after the first quarter. And then on Sunday evening, a 101-94 win over the reigning, defending NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks at Capital One Arena. The Wizards trailed in the third quarter 53-49, then went on a 34-18 run for an 83-71 lead early in the fourth quarter, during which the Wizards never trailed. Got the dagger three from Spencer Dinwiddie in the final minute of the fourth quarter, and that was all she wrote. The Wizards threw 10 games in the team's 2021-2022 regular season are 7-3. and three. The Wizards' last regular season didn't get their seventh win until improving to 7-17. Seven and 17. Yeah, it took the Wizards 24 games last regular season to get to seven wins. It has taken the Wizards just 10 games this regular season to get to seven wins. Three general themes stood out to me with these two big Wizards wins over the weekend. Number one, the Wizards continue to win despite missing key players. I don't think that you can emphasize this enough. Davies Bertans now has missed three consecutive games due to a left ankle sprain that was suffered in the 118-111 loss at the Atlanta Hawks last Monday night, November 1st. Rui Hachimura has yet to play this season due to personal reasons. Thomas Bryant has yet to play this season as he continues to recover from that partially torn left ACL that was suffered this past January 9th. Now look, the Bucs on Sunday evening were missing key players too. The Bucs were without Chris Middleton due to health and safety protocols, were without former wizard Robin Lopez, aka Rolo, due to a back ailment, and we're without Dante DiVincenzo due to a left ankle injury. But whatever, the Wizards don't want to hear about missing key guys. The Wizards have been missing more than their share of key players. A second theme for the Wizards in their two big wins over the weekend, 
great defense. I cannot emphasize enough the extent to which the Wizards' new head coach, Wes Unsell Jr., is doing the thing that I was hoping that he would do given his reputation, but could be sure that he would do given the Wizards' reputation. That is play defense. The Wizards are playing defense this season. The Wizards in the win over Memphis held the Grizzlies to just 87 points, including just 40 points in the second half. The Wizards held the Grizzlies to just 6 of 31 on threes. The Wizards held John Morant to 4 of 17 shooting, 0 of 2 on threes, and 4 of 15 on twos. And the Wizards in the win over Milwaukee held the Bucks to just 94 points, held the Bucks to just 27.8% shooting on threes at 10 of 36, held the Bucks to just 27 of 58 on twos, totaled eight block shots, and the Wizards, I thought all things considered, did a good job on the Greek freak, Giannis Adetokounmpo. Uh, Giannis went 0 of 4 on threes and scored 29 points, but on 26 field goal attempts, and the Wizards got Giannis to commit three turnovers. Now look, he certainly got his, okay? He is Giannis. He is the freak. Uh, he finished with 18 rebounds, including six offensive boards, had five assists, had three steals, but he also went just five of 12 on free throws, and he finished with a plus-minus rating of minus six. If you're the Wizards, I think you take that overall game for Giannis Adetokounmpo. He's going to put up his numbers, but if you can hold him to an at least somewhat inefficient night as the Wizards did, that's a win. And the Wizards did that on Sunday evening. And then a third theme for the Wizards in their two big wins over the weekend, hot shooting. Uh, the Wizards in the win over Memphis, 10 of 25 on threes, 39 of 59 on twos, outscored the Grizzlies in the paint, 66-48. Here's how good the Wizards shooting was in the win over the Grizzlies. The Wizards scored 115 points despite going to 7 of 13 on free throws and despite committing 19 turnovers. And then the Wizards in the win over Milwaukee, 11 of 27 on threes. Four Wizards starters, Bradley Beal, Kyle Kuzma, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Kentavious Caldwell-Pope combined 8 of 18 on threes. The Wizards went 30 of 54 on twos. Did again commit some turnovers. It's been a bit of a problem here over these last few games. The Wizards in the win over the Bucks on Sunday evening won despite committing 19 turnovers, but the Wizards won. The shooting was good enough to overcome the turnovers. Some of the heroes for the Wizards uh, in their win over the Bucks at Capital One Arena on Sunday evening. Bradley Beal, who has not always been great this season, was quite good on Sunday evening. Did commit six turnovers, that's true, but he also went two or three on threes and 12 of 19 on twos, finished with 30 points, eight assists, and five rebounds in 37 minutes, 23 seconds as a starter. Kyle Kuzma, three of eight on threes, 15 points, 10 rebounds, and five assists versus three turnovers in 29-43 as a starter. You know, Kuzma suffered a right forearm contusion in the 109-100 loss to the Toronto Raptors at Capital One Arena last Wednesday night, but he has not missed any games because of that injury. Montrez Harrell, who to me has been the Wizards' MVP so far this season, he was good again in the win over the Bucs on Sunday evening. 15 points on 5 of 7 shooting, 4 rebounds and 26.05 off the bench. This off Trez in the win over the Grizzlies on Friday night in just 24.37 off the bench, having 18 points on 9 of 11 shooting and eight rebounds. How about Daniel Gafford in the win over the Bucks on Sunday evening? Gafford had 11 points on five of six shooting, eight rebounds, and two blocks in 21-40 as a starter. Gafford in a third quarter that the Wizards won 33-19 
had 10 points on 5 of 5 shooting and 5 rebounds in just 6.49 of playing time. And Gafford made maybe the play of the game. He, with his right hand, rejected a Giannis Adetokounmpo attempt at a driving layup near the left block late in the second quarter. The sequence started with Gafford defending Giannis at the top of the key. Gafford did then lose a step on Giannis, but recovered enough to make the block. Tremendous play by Daniel Gafford. Here was Wes Jr. during his postgame press conference on that play. It's a uh, very few people can make that play. <laughs> um, you know, we've talked at length about his ability to do that. It, he, it's special. Um, and when he's he's locked in and he can do that um, without taking himself out of position, you know, where there's purpose behind it and he's in the right spot early, you know, at times, and it's tough, you know, the, the amount of shooting they can put on the floor, you know, not just this team, but a lot of teams, uh, those stretch fives, you know, he, he gravitates to the rim. And I think that's just in his nature. Um, he's able to make those plays, but I, I think as we've gone along, he's done a better job of playing with purpose and understanding when to go and when not to go um, and, and being more mindful of that. And speaking of great defense on the Greek freak, Denny Avdia, the Wizraeli, loved the game that Avdia had on Sunday evening. So Avdia in 27-23 off the bench scored just three points, but he did so many other things well. He had nine rebounds. He had four assists versus no turnovers. He had two blocks. He had a team high plus minus rating of plus 10. And he defended Giannis in the fourth quarter. West Jr. had Denny Avdia on Giannis Adetokounmpo in the fourth quarter. And Avdia was up to the task. In fact, Avdia in the fourth quarter forced a travel by Giannis in the lane. West Jr. during his postgame press conference on Avdia's defense on Giannis. No, I think it was, uh, he, he was great. And I, I know it's uh, it's not fair to say, hey, it's all on you, Denny. But I, he had a number of really good possessions where he was able to just wall up, you know, absorb that contact, um, not get over anxious and, and, and make plays over the ball and get himself in foul trouble. Um, there were probably like five or six plays throughout the course of the game. I'm like, man, that's that's pretty good. You know, even if he does make a tough shot, that's great defense. You know, if he can do that nightly, we'll live with it. Yeah, man, the Wizards are playing defense. We're not used to seeing this. We're not used to saying this, but this is the case so far this season. I mean, even a guy like Kentavious Caldwell-Pope. So KCP on Sunday evening in 25-46 as a starter only scored five points, but he had four steals. You know, everyone is a part of this year. KCP, by the way, really good in the win over the Grizzlies on Friday night. Four of seven on threes, 12.7 rebounds, three assists, versus no turnovers, two steals, and a game-best plus-minus rating of plus 23 in just 26.01 as a starter. The Wizards are getting contributions from a number of players right now. It's a big part of why the Wiz have been able to withstand their injuries. The Wizards last season felt like they were Bradley Beal, Russell Westbrook, and then everybody else. The Wizards this season are a collection of a number of players who are all capable of contributing in any given game. There is a depth to this Wizards team that we have not seen in a long time. Next up for the Wiz at the Cleveland Cavaliers, Wednesday night at 7. All right, let's talk some college football week 10. And unfortunately, this was not a good college football week 10 for the major teams of the region. Maryland, Virginia Tech, and Navy all lost. Virginia didn't play. The Cavaliers will host number 10 Notre Dame 
this Saturday night at 7.30. The midshipmen got to know the Fighting Irish quite well on Saturday. More on that in a bit. But we begin with Maryland. It was felt to 5-4, and four, a 31-14 loss to Penn State at Capital One Field at Maryland Stadium in College Park on Saturday as the domination continues. The Terrapins now are 3-41-1 all-time against Penn State. Let me repeat that record. The Terrapins are 3-41-1 all-time against Penn State. That really is remarkable. There aren't many other examples of one program owning another program the way that Penn State football has owned Maryland football for years. 3-41-1 is Maryland's all-time record against Penn State. I went to Maryland, okay? I don't like saying that record, but the truth is the truth. Penn State is our daddy. Who is your daddy and what does he do? Yes, Arnold, thank you. So the final score of the game on Saturday was 31-14, but the game wasn't as lopsided as that final score indicates. And if you watched the game, if you were at the game, then you know of what I speak. Uh, The game was tied at 14 in the fourth quarter, and then the Terps allowed the Nittany Lions to score the game's final 17 points. There were many problems for Maryland in this game, not the least of which was the Terps' defense, which was not good. Uh, The Terps allowed Penn State to go 10 of 18 on third downs, and the Terps got shredded by Penn State receiver Jahan Dotson, who finished with, brace yourself for this, 11 receptions for 242 yards and three touchdowns on 15 targets. Yeah, 11 receptions for 242 yards and three touchdowns. It was a joke the way that Dotson ran free against that Maryland secondary. Josh Doxson was a flop of a first-round pick for Washington, but Jahan Dotson was quite good for Penn State on Saturday at Maryland. Here was Terps head coach Mike Loxley during his post-game press conference on his uh, secondary getting worked by Jahan Dotson. Well, he ran slant routes for about 242 yards against man coverage where uh, we want to deny inside leverage. Um, Again, He's a big-time player, and he made the plays that were available to him. Um, would I like to see us in better leverage position to cover him? No doubt. Um, he caught us in a couple zone coverages. The first one was the double move when we were in zone. Uh, the next one was, again, we were in zone coverage, and, and they ran a, a similar concept. But then when we went man, you know, we had to challenge a good receiver like that um, and take away the leverages that don't allow the ball to be thrown inside. And those are the things we got to get corrected. Yes, you do. Dotson's 242 receiving yards, a Penn State single game record. And according to the official game book for the game, 125 of Dotson's 242 receiving yards were yak, were yards after catch. Uh, Maryland had no answer for Jahan Dotson. And when it came to the Terps passing game, so quarterback to Leah Tungavailoa, a rough game, but the rough game was not all on him. Uh, let's break this down. And again, if you watched the game, if you were at the game, you know this. Talia did not play nearly as bad as some of the numbers suggest. So first of all, a backbreaking play late in the game. Second and three for Maryland at the Penn State 13 in the fourth quarter with the Terps trailing 24-14. Talia threw an 87-yard pick six to safety, Jair Brown. 
but the interception was due to Terps receiver Daryl Jones breaking off his route. Uh, Talia threw for just 371 yards on 57 pass attempts. That works out to just 6.51 yards per pass attempt. But Talia was victimized by multiple drops by Terps pass catchers, including a brutal drop by receiver Marcus Fleming in the second quarter when he dropped a pass that almost certainly would have resulted in a touchdown. Uh, Talia officially finished with seven carries. For you ready for this? Minus 29 yards. Yes. And while the yardage lost on sacks does ridiculously count as rushing yardage in college football, Talia only took two sacks in the game. So that was a particularly painful aspect of Talia's game. Seven carries for minus 29 yards. Uh, Talia had two fumbles, including a lost fumble, but the lost fumble came off a bad snap with Talia in the pistol on a second and two at the Penn State 10 with the Terps trailing 14-6 in the third quarter. As I'm going through this, you're hearing of these missed opportunities for the Terps. You know, Fleming with that drop touchdown pass in the second quarter. The errant pistol snap with the Terps in the red zone in the third quarter, trailing by just eight. Uh, Talia quarterback to Maryland offense that went just 4-15 on third downs. That obviously was bad. Uh, Talia did have a big second and nine 13-yard shotgun play action touchdown pass to tight end Corey Deitches on the first snap of the fourth quarter to help to tie the game at 14, but ultimately just not enough juice for Maryland offensively. This was a tough matchup for the Terps. Uh, you know, they're without two of their top three receivers right now. Dante Demas Jr., Jay Sean Jones, each guy done for the season due to a season-ending leg injury. And the Terps in this game were facing a Penn State team that has been excellent defensively this season. Penn State through week nine, number eight in the FBS in defensive efficiency for ESPN and number six in the FBS in lowest opponents yards per pass attempt at 5.64. And so now the Terps are five and four, three games left in Maryland's regular season, three chances to get to six wins. The three games are at number three, Michigan State this Saturday afternoon at four, home to number seven, Michigan on November 20th, and at Rutgers on November 27th. Meantime, Virginia Tech, uh, not a good weekend for the Hokies, not a good weekend for the Fighting Fuentes. Uh, they fell to four and five, a 17-3 loss at Boston College on Friday night. This was maybe the low point for Justin Fuente as Hokies head coach, facing a Boston College team that had lost four consecutive games and was 0-4 in the ACC, the Hokies scored just three points in losing for the fifth time in seven games since a 2-0 start. Now, BC surprisingly started Phil Jerkovic at quarterback. Jerkovic had been thought to be done for the season due to an injured throwing hand that had required surgery that was performed on September 13th. Instead, Jerkovic ended up starting this game at quarterback for BC, only went 7-13 passing, had no touchdown passes, versus one interception, but he threw for 112 yards on his 13 pass attempts. That works out to 8.62 yards per pass attempt. He was not sacked at all. Andrew had nine carries for 65 yards, including a first quarter, third and five, eight-yard shotgun read option touchdown run. And how about what happened with the interception? that Jerkovic threw. This was a first quarter interception by Hokies defensive back Dorian Strong, who then fumbled the football during his interception return. The fumble was recovered by Jerkovic, who scored his rushing touchdown just a few plays later. Brutal moment right there for Virginia Tech. Strong fumbling the football 
during his interception return. Also, Hokies, a horrendous night offensively. Now, the Hokies were plagued by injury. Hokies receiver Trey Turner did not play due to injury. The Hokies starting quarterback Braxton Burmeister left the game in the first quarter due to an undisclosed injury did not return. I know that Burmeister has not had a very good season, but he is the Hokies starting quarterback. Instead, he ends up leaving the game in the first quarter and his backup, Knox Kadem, uh, showed why he is the backup. Went to 7 of 16 for just 73 yards, 4.56 yards per pass attempt. And so the Hokies scored just three points, went just 3 of 11 on third downs, and lost the time of possession battle by 13 minutes, 52 seconds. This despite a third consecutive good game for the Hokies ground game. A Hokies running back Malachi Thomas, 13 carries, 70 yards. Hokies running back Raheem Blackshear, 12 carries, 67 yards. But Tech season is just not going well. Uh, there seemingly is no realistic way that Justin Fuente does not get fired at the end of this season, maybe even before the end of this season. If you watch Fuente's postgame press conferences, he just seems out of answers. Like He just doesn't seem to have any answers here for Virginia Tech this season. Next up for the Hokies, home to Duke this Saturday afternoon at 3.30. And then there was Navy, which fell to 2-7, and seven, a 34-6 loss at number 10 Notre Dame on Saturday. The game was close for a while. Uh, Navy trailed by just a 10-3 count late in the first half, but then gave up a 3rd and 7, 70-yard touchdown pass by Notre Dame quarterback Jack Cohn to receiver Kevin Austin Jr. with 50 seconds left in the second quarter, and the game ended up being a rout. The midshipmen got outgained 430 to 184. Uh, the midshipmen averages 3.1 yards per play to Notre Dame's 7 yards per play. Midshipmen went just 415 on third downs to Notre Dame going 7 to 13 on third downs. Actually, Navy's defense wasn't horrible, but the Navy defense wore down as the game went on. Navy's offense was the bigger problem and really has been for much of this season. Uh, Navy quarterback Ty Lovatai left the game in the first half due to a neck injury and did not return. Next up for Navy, home to East Carolina on Saturday afternoon, November 20th at 3.30. We move now to the Capitals. Uh, they will play on Monday night, home to the Buffalo Sabres at 7. Sabres have lost four consecutive games, although the team's most recent loss was an overtime loss. The Caps, meantime, have lost three consecutive games, and the first and third losses of the losing streak, regulation losses. Yeah, the Caps over the weekend suffered just their second regulation loss of the season. Caps fell to 5-2-4 and four with a 2-1 loss to the Philadelphia Flyers at Capital One Arena on Saturday night. Now, the Caps right now are missing a number of key players. Nicholas Backstrom has yet to play this season. He has been out since the start of Capitals training camp due to ongoing rehabilitation on his hip. T.J. Oshie has missed four consecutive games due to a lower body injury that was suffered in the 3-2 overtime loss to the Detroit Red Wings at Capital One Arena on October 27th. And now we have this Anthony Mantha situation. Mantha is out indefinitely. This due to shoulder surgery that he underwent on Friday for an injury that was suffered in the 5-4 overtime loss at the Florida Panthers last Thursday night. Caps are missing three key forwards right now. And so, not surprisingly, the Caps have come back down to earth a bit. Uh, the Caps in this loss to the Flyers at Capital One Arena on Saturday night got smashed in the puck possession battle. Each team did finish with 32 shots on goal, but the Caps per natural stat trick finished with just 42 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Flyers' 57, including just 26 5-on-5 shot attempts to the Flyers' 45 over the first two periods. It was interesting. Head coach Peter Laviolette was line-matching 
the Flyers' top line of Travis Konechny, Sean Couturier, and Claude Giroux with the Caps' fourth line. And uh, the results, shall we say, were not good. Uh, the Caps' fourth line, Carl Haglin, Nick Dowd, and Garnett Hathaway, per natural stat trick, in 9 minutes, 46 seconds of 5-on-5 ice time together, had a collective shot attempt percentage of just 15. Not good. Uh, the Caps with Haglin, Dowd, and Hathaway on the ice together in 5-on-5 situations in this game totaled just three shot attempts to the Flyers' 17. Now look, everybody loves the Caps' fourth line, Haglin, Dowd, Hathaway. This has been a workman-like line for the Capitals. This has been a reliable line for the Capitals going back multiple seasons. But in this game on Saturday night, the results were brutal. I mean, a 5-on-5 shot attempt percentage for the line of just 15 is unacceptable. Uh, now, I mentioned the Caps having as many shots on goal as the Flyers had. Well, that was because the Caps had three power plays to the Flyers' one, but the Caps went 0-3 of on the power play, in addition to going 1-1 on the penalty kill. But how about where we're at right now with this Caps power play? So the Caps, in their season-opening 5-1 win over the New York Rangers at Capital One Arena on October 13th, went 3-6 on the power play. A great start to the season for the Capitals' power play. But the Caps, since then are a mere 4 of 34 on the power play. So the Caps in their season opener went 3 of 6 on the power play. The Caps over their last 10 games are 4 of 34 on the power play. Uh, That's something else. The Caps power play is in a rut right now. Some positives for the Caps on Saturday night. Vitek Vanacek was good. He was the Caps starting goaltender for an eighth time in 11 games this season. Stopped 30 of the 32 shots on goal that he faced. Alex Ovechkin was good. He continues to perform well. Ovi on Saturday night, game-high six shots on goal and a game-high 10 shot attempts. And how about this? So the Caps' lone goal was a Brett Leeson even-strength goal, 6-0-2 into the third period. Four Caps rookies were on the ice for that goal. Brett Leeson, Connor McMichael, Hendricks Lapierre, and defenseman Martin Fehervari. This marked just the second time in Caps' regular season history that the team scored a goal with four rookies on the ice. The first time was in November 2005 when Alex Ovechkin and Brooks Like were among the rookies on the ice. It's funny with the Caps. They have plenty of older players, but the Caps also have this infusion of youth, the likes of which the Caps have not had in a while, and the Caps need that youth. Because the team is missing some of its older players right now. All right, let's talk some baseball. Uh, so the MLB offseason is a slow-moving offseason. Uh, MLB free agency is officially beginning on this Monday, November 8th. Although you'd barely know unless you knew. Because nobody expects any major signings anytime soon. It's so odd. NFL, NBA, and NHL free agencies all begin with an onslaught of moves. MLB free agency takes forever to truly get going. And this MLB offseason, things really could take a while because the current collective bargaining agreement between MLB and the MLB Players Association expires at the end of the day on December 1st. So we could be headed toward a lengthy work stoppage, a dark winter. Uh, We'll see. Hopefully not, but nobody has a lot of optimism right now with how dysfunctional things are between MLB and the MLBPA. In the meantime, there is baseball business being conducted, and there were two things of note regarding the Nationals and Orioles on Friday that I wanted to make mention of. 
on this installment of the Al Goldie podcast. So with the Nats, they on Friday claimed lefty reliever Francisco Perez off waivers from the Cleveland Guardians, the former Cleveland Indians, who are not going by the name of the Cleveland baseball team. Uh, the Cleveland Guardians. That is the name of the MLB team in Cleveland now. Look, uh, Francisco Perez may never throw a single inning for the Nats, okay? But the Nats making waiver claims on guys like Francisco Perez are what the pitching starved Nats need to be doing. Uh, the Nationals in the 2021 regular season finished dead last out of 15 National League teams with a relief pitching ERA of 5.08. The Nats bullpen this past season was awful. The Nats need an infusion of new arms, and who knows with this guy, Perez, maybe he can help. He is a lefty. Uh, He's going into just his age 24 season. Did only throw six and two-thirds major league innings for the team now known as the Guardians in the 2021 regular season, but Perez in the 2021 season, over 53 minor league innings at the AA and AAA levels, had an ERA of 187 and a strikeouts per nine innings of 13.9. 13.9 strikeouts per nine innings. That's nice. That plays. 13.9 strikeouts per nine innings. You love seeing that. Uh, speaking of relievers and pitching starved teams, the Orioles have lost Hunter Harvey. Yeah, Hunter Harvey is gone. Hunter Harvey was claimed by the San Francisco Giants off waivers on Friday. So Hunter Harvey had been on the Orioles' 60-day injured list. The O's had had until Sunday to remove players on the 60-day injured list to the 40-man roster. It's unclear whether the O's wanted to keep Harvey or were fine losing him. I suppose all things being equal, you want to keep the guy. But the O's made it so that he could be claimed off waivers, and he was, and by a really smart team and the Giants. Uh, The O's need all of the pitching help that they can get. I mean, to me, if you're the O's, you don't want to lose any pitcher with even an inkling of talent. And Hunter Harvey does have talent. Uh, The O's took Hunter Harvey with the number 22 overall pick in the 2013 MLB draft. But his eight plus years with the O's were marked by one injury after another. It's hard to think of another Oriole who has ever been as plagued by injury during his tenure with the team as Hunter Harvey was. Harvey missed the entire 2015 season due to a right elbow strain. Harvey underwent Tommy John surgery in July 2016. Harvey in 2018 dealt with right elbow discomfort and a right shoulder problem. Harvey in August 2019 finally made his major league debut and looked great. Uh, He allowed one run in five and a third innings with 10 strikeouts over his first six appearances, but he then pitched in one game the rest of the season due to right bicep soreness. And then we had what we had with Hunter Harvey in 2021. Uh, Hunter Harvey in a 6-2 Grapefruit League loss to the Philadelphia Phillies this past March 12th threw just one pitch and then left the game due to a left oblique injury. He ended up being on the Orioles' 60-day injured list from March 16th to June 4th. Then the O's on July 2nd put Harvey on the 10-day injured list with a right lat strain, and the O's on September 7th moved Harvey to the 60-day DL due to him having suffered a right tricep strain while pitching for AAA Norfolk. So here he is on the mend, trying to come back from this right lat strain, and he suffers another injury while pitching for Norfolk. Hunter Harvey has been a magnet for injuries. It really is something else. If you're a combo Washington football team Orioles fan, as I know many of you are, Hunter Harvey is like Jordan Reed times three. Uh, But the thing with Hunter Harvey is that he's still not that old. Uh, This coming season will be just Hunter Harvey's age 27 season. And like I said, 
The Giants are a very smart team, very well-run team. I would not be stunned if Hunter Harvey does well for the Giants. Uh, of course, that would require Harvey staying healthy, uh, which he has just not been able to do. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday's show, episode 183, will feature the latest on the Washington football team as it was set to practice on Monday and the team's return from the bye week. Also, Maryland basketball season will begin on Tuesday night with a game against Quinnipiac in College Park at 7. I'll preview the Terrapins and Georgetown basketball with bracketologist Patrick Stevens of the Washington Post and a post game, the Capitals game against the Buffalo Sabres at Capital One Arena on Monday night at seven. Have a great rest of your Monday and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. The damn Washington Wizards.